Hey everyone, and welcome back to another education series episode of the BTS podcast. I'm Ciara Minova, your host, and today's episode will be on emotions. Psychologists have been interested in understanding why we have emotions, why do we feel all the feels, and can we master them? We'll be discussing some of these thought-provoking questions today. So what are emotions? Our emotions are complex physiological states and experience of consciousness that involves three distinct components. One, a subjective experience, two, a physiological response, and three, a behavioral or expressive response. Emotions are your brain's best guesses of what your bodily sensations mean, guided by your past experiences. Your brain constructs these guesses in a blink of an eye, so rapidly in fact that emotions feel like uncontrollable reactions that happen to you, when actually emotions are made by you. So our emotions are mental states brought on by our neurophysiological changes in the brain, associated with our thoughts, feelings, and behavioral responses, and a degree of pleasure or displeasure. The limbic system, which is a group of interconnected structures located deep within our brain, is the part of the brain that's responsible for behavior and emotional responses. Neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine are used as chemical messengers to send signals across the network. Brain regions receive these signals, which results in us recognizing objects and situations, and then assigning them an emotional value to guide behavior and make these split-second decisions. Most psychologists think that emotions consist of five basic components, our feelings, our physiological response, our behavior, our cognition, and expression. So our feelings is that what we label as the emotion. For example, feeling sad or feeling happy, they're usually subjective in nature and also personal because other people can't always tell how we're feeling by looking at us. Our physiological response is when we feel emotions, especially intense one, whether that's intense anger or euphoria, and our bodies experience bodily sensations such as sweating or raised heartbeat, and even bodily changes we can't see or feel, such as chemicals being secreted from our glands. The brain also has a role in the responses. For example, our amygdala is very important for emotional processing, especially fear. And then our behavior Our behavior leads us to express when we feel an emotion, for example, throwing something at someone when we are angry or running away when we're sad or even scared. And then our cognition is what we think. That is what we interpret of the event that will create an emotion in us. For example, remembering yourself on a holiday can produce feelings of happiness. And finally, expression. Now, expression isn't always present. We don't always express our emotions in our facial expressions. And many people are very good at hiding their emotions. But often, even subtly, vocal expression and facial expression can be changed based on the emotions that we feel. People can even sometimes fake this sort of expression to deliver a certain message. So as you can see, to experience emotion, we notice a trigger, which then gives us some kind of a bodily reaction, even if we aren't aware of it, and then that makes us act in a certain way, and we label that through our cognition and try to understand why we experience that emotion, which also can be communicated by our outward expression. But how many emotions do we really have? Paul Ekman, who is a psychologist in the 70s and the pioneer in the study of emotions, thought that the primary goal or function of basic emotions is to mobilize the organism to deal with important interpersonal encounters quickly. According to Paul Ekman, we have six distinct emotions. These are anger, disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, and surprise. Although later he did expand them to a couple of others like embarrassment, excitement, shame, pride, etc. But anyway, he believed that our core emotions are universal and even the facial expressions we show under certain emotions are culturally universal. 
He thought this because during his research years, he traveled to Papua New Guinea to study the nonverbal behavior of the four people. He chose these amazing people as they were isolated in a Stone Age culture located in the Southeast Highlands. Ekman's research provided the strongest evidence that facial expressions are universal and linked to certain feelings. Although many psychologists now speculate this theory, our emotions do seem to have some form of evolutionary and biologically enact mechanism to it. Robert Pluchnik, which is another emotions expert, believed that these emotions can be blended almost as a color spectrum. So for example, anger and disgust can be blended into contempt and happiness and excitement can be combined to be exhilaration. Basic emotions usually appear in the first six months of our life, but not all at the same time. Emotion researchers say that joy, sadness, and disgust generally appear first, followed by anger and surprise, and then finally fear, which is a much later learned response. There are three main theories of emotions which try to understand these mechanisms involved in experiencing emotion. Number one is the James Lang theory. So the James Lang theory proposes that bodily changes come first and form the basis of emotional experience. Thus, our emotions are caused by bodily sensations. So for example, you will become happier when you smile. You are afraid because you run. William James, who is referred to as the James in the James Lang theory, says, We feel sorry because we cry. We are angry because we hit, and we are afraid because we tremble. However, many criticized this theory and disagreed. For example, Walter Cannon, whose argument was that people can experience very different emotions even when the physiological arousal is the same. For example, going to the gym can give you an increased heart rate and feel breathless, but you're not angry or scared. He later developed the Cannon-Bard theory, joined by Philip Bard, and this theory states that the lower part of our brains, also called the thalamus, controls your experience of emotion, and at the same time, the higher part of our brain, which is called the cortex, controls the expression of emotion. So they believe that these two parts of the brain react simultaneously, and so both the awareness of the emotion and the physical bodily sensation happens at the same time to experience the emotion, rather than what was said in the James Lang theory, for example. And finally, the last later developed theory was called the two-factor theory of emotion, and this focuses on the interaction between physical arousal and how we cognitively label that arousal. In other words, simply feeling arousal or having that bodily sensation is not enough. We must also identify the arousal in order to feel the emotion. It is our interpretation of it that leads us to label a peculiar emotion that we feel. And there was a very interesting study called the Adrenaline Study that showed this. Another very cool study that was done in psychology was called the Wobble Bridge Study. And if you ever want to impress someone on a date or make someone fall in love with you, make sure to take them on a roller coaster or in a scary movie. Well, at least according to these psychologists. So the Wobble Bridge Study was done in the 1970s. And what happened here is that two groups of men were split to cross one of the two bridges. The first bridge was solid, wooden, and it seemed quite comfortable and easy to pass through it. The second bridge, however, was super shaky, had cracks on it, and yeah, it did not seem like an easy path. So many of the men crossing the shaky bridge had a physiological arousal. Their heart was pounding, they were sweating, etc. Now, the critical part of the study was towards the end, where each of the participants in both bridges was approached by a woman, a very attractive woman, who was actually from the research team, who offered them her name and phone number. The men in the scary bridge condition were three times more likely to accept the phone number, call the woman, and ask her on a date. After experiencing the fear-induced arousal from the bridge, 
The men all misattributed this arousal as sexual attraction when they saw the woman immediately afterward. And when they were asked by the woman why they called, they often indicated her attractiveness, but never thought to mention anything about the fact that they had just stepped off a very terrifying bridge. They didn't even realize that the arousal they were experiencing actually had very little to do with the woman herself. And this happens more often than we realize. People will sometimes experience ambiguous arousal first and then search the environment around them to find possible explanations that they can label as an explanation for that arousal. So anyway, next time you're going on a date, make sure to take someone on a shaky bridge. And finally, I want to talk about emotional regulation and how to master your emotions. They say the one who can master their emotions can master actions. I think we now understand that what is psychological is also biological. Our emotions can sometimes be intense, and when some emotional states get too intense, they can be associated with many mental health issues such as depression and anxiety. Emotional regulation refers to the ability to effectively control over one's emotions through a wide range of strategies to influence which emotions has an experience. So according to studies on emotional regulation, emotional regulation can even help manage symptoms of depression, and a lower level of anxiety is associated with better emotional control and higher social emotional intelligence. For example, a person who has poor emotional regulation strategies is more likely to fall prey for mood polarities, meaning that their mood shifts very quickly, and their actions and behavioral patterns would always be at the mercy of their emotions. On the contrary side, Quite a well-regulated person who is very aware of their emotions will receive otherwise. So emotional regulation allows us to carefully judge which effective outcomes to embrace and which ones to avoid. Here are some skills that can help in cultivating emotional regulation and sustaining it during challenging times. Number one is self-awareness. Noticing what we feel and naming it is a great step towards emotional regulation. When you feel bad, ask yourself, am I feeling sad, hopeless, ashamed, or anxious? You can even give your emotions cute characters. The second is cognitive reappraisal. Cognitive reappraisal skills may include practice such as thought replacement or situational role reversals, where we try to look at a stressful situation from a whole different perspective. We look for better ways of dealing with the situation. So instead of asking ourselves, why did this person not call us back? We can say, well, this person was probably busy rather than assuming, for example, this person hates me. We have a whole episode dedicated to cognitive distortions that talk about this. Another method is self-soothing, and this can include things like self-compassion towards yourself, simply breathing and relaxation techniques, or just taking time off to do what you enjoy and really just overly comforting yourself. And finally, there's also mindfulness for emotions. Very similar to self-awareness, it is coming to the realization that feelings are not good or bad. They are just feelings. It is the label that we give them that affects the way we experience them. This exercise is aimed at helping you notice your emotion and the physical sensations that accompany them. It involves steps like turning towards your emotion with acceptance, realizing the impermanence of your emotions, meaning that they're not permanent, and allowing yourself to let go of the control of them. If you have watched the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out, then you probably remember that this cartoon showed a young girl named Riley and her five core emotions, fear, anger, joy, disgust, and sadness. The movie shows how Riley struggles to cope with her new life with these emotions, but also teaches us a very important message. I think Inside Out reminds us to embrace the wholeness of ourselves, give ourselves permission to be okay and to not be okay, and that we have to give those around us a chance to work through emotional realizations. It's not about trying to avoid uncomfortable feelings, but rather go towards them to get honest with ourselves and grow. In our emotions, there is a great possibility to change. And as Carl Jung beautifully said, to confront a person with their own shadow is to show them their own light. Well, there you have it. We have reached the end of another one of our education series for the month. I'd like to remind you yet again that this has merely touched upon the surface of a very deep and complex 
complex topic, which is our emotions, but I hope it gave you some insight into it. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. If you guys did enjoy this episode, please do subscribe to our channel. Catch you guys next time.